Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining. This is Seeking Sustainability Live. I'm JJ Walsh here in Hiroshima, and today I'm talking with Chirag Batavia, who is in Tokyo in a beautiful park somewhere. Thank you so much for joining, Chirag. Hi, hi, Joy. Yeah, it's, it's a pleasure to be here today, and um, really thank you for having me on the show.、Um, I've, I've looked through some of the people that you've spoken to in the past, and, and there are some, some people doing some really great things. I'm not sure if I'm quite there, but、um, I'm, I'm really delighted to be on the show today. That's wonderful, and thank you so much for joining us in such a beautiful place. Where are you right now? So today I'm,、um, I'm outside in, in Tokyo in the grounds of the Imperial Palace. So around me are the,、um, are the, the matsu, the, the, the trees that are planted just in front of the palace. And it's a, it's a beautiful, it's, it's a beautifully maintained、um, lawn here. And、uh, yeah, it, it's a real、um, break to be from. Um, you know, it's a real respite from the, from the hustle and bustle of the city. Definitely. And you said you can hear some cicadas around you right now? Absolutely, absolutely. I, I think if I wasn't wearing this headset, you'd probably get more of the cicadas than, than my voice. <laughs> well, being in nature is such an important part of what we're talking about today, and your study and your recommendations and consulting about permaculture, which is a real balance between people, planet, and profits. Very similar to the sustainability. Uh, key pillars, which I often talk about on many different topics.、Um, we have had people talking about permaculture before, and we're going to dive into the specifics in just a minute. But I'd love to know more about how you first came to Japan. I know you were a jet in Kagawa, is that right? And then、oh. you, you left and came back? Yeah, that, that's, that's right. That's right. Yeah, so I.、Um... That's right. So I, I first came to Japan.、Um, this is going to date me, but after finishing university back in、uh, 2003, it was. And、um, I came to Japan. It was, it was purely something that happened out of chance. You know, I, I was at my university careers recruitment fair, and it seemed like a really exciting opportunity to go and travel, to go to a different,、um, to learn a different culture. So I, I took that up,、um, landed myself in, in Kagawa, in Shikoku, where、um, I stayed for two years at a senior high school in a town called Sakaide. So this was a Balance for me to, to give me a, a chance to see a bit of rural Japan、um, as well as being close enough to the larger city. So I, I was in a position where people in my community didn't speak English. So I was forced to learn Japanese. I was forced to,、um, you know, to, to, to learn to interact with them. You know, and through learning Japanese, I could beca- become friends with them. I could learn more about their culture. And、um, yeah, it, w- it was a really enlightening experience. And, and that, that stayed with me、um, when I returned to England. And、um, I did a few different things in, in England. And、um, I, I, just, I came to this thinking that I really liked speaking languages. And、um, through that, I was lucky enough to find a job working at a Japanese company、um, and working in IT. So、um, I worked in IT, and、um, at some point, I, I met my soon to be wife 
in in England in in London who also coincidentally happened to be from Kagawa so we we decided to um get married and then settle in Japan and that that was about about 10 or so years ago and um I've been living in Tokyo ever since and also yeah working in IT so I I am I I do work in I, I work in technology currently and I think it's um so some something that happened to me over the past few years is is a realization um well firstly is an appreciation for nature um I'm not sure if you've got some of those um if you're able to show some of those photos but some of my um hobbies are cycling and um if you've ever done any cycling in Japan you'll know that if you want to get out the city you're almost invariably going to end up in the mountains and um through that i got to really appreciate um uh, appreciate the the countryside the really beautiful countryside of japan and also through cycling you do end up going through some really depopulated area on you know depopulated areas and also end up interacting with people in you know where where people are not so used to seeing non-japanese you know non-japanese and this has also given me a really great opportunity to to interact with people on a on a really um on a really um you know one to one on a really you know straightforward basis without any hierarchical i think you'll find that if you're in a city um quite often you're speaking to people through you know if it's through a workplace or if it's through a business acquaintance it, it's through some kind of a hierarchical um or, system or even even as a customer right right or even as a customer or or exactly so or, or there's a client or, or there's some there's some obligation on you there there's some kind of a a social um obligation that there, there there's um uh, a way that you need to behave or conduct yourself and maybe maybe that means that you can't really speak about or talk about the topics that you really feel like talking about or 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 have you know share the feelings that you truly have or ask the questions you truly want so this this like um you know my time in the countryside has 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 also given me the chance to speak to people understand what what these issues are and you know i do take it upon myself to try and visit I know you've had people on your on your show talk about taking extended trips so I'm not going to talk more about that but this level of interaction and appreciation of 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 the kinds of problems that are um that are prevalent you know the depopulation the aging society um sometimes there are abandoned land plots in 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 the countryside there's a lot of these things that are are really prevalent in Japan and um through being here i've i've come to see that there's a huge contrast between the very dense cities and the almost the, the neglected very very sparse countryside so um and through this i've also um come to understand some of the environmental issues that japan has faced through its um um you know deep people may not say japan is deforested but um you know you'll you'll see these large urban con- um uh, conglomerations which are f- where the concrete will stretch for for kilometers on end and and you'll even go into the countryside and you'll think okay this is a nice forest but when you look deeper you'll realize that you know these are planted these are planted sugis or these are planted hinokis and and these are not these are not native forest and um 
you know, when I first saw this, I was like, why, why are all the trees the same? And then, you know, as, as I read about things and I looked into things a bit deeper, I began to understand that, yeah, there, there are, um, you know, some real um, significant environmental issues that are going on in Japan. Um, and is that, also... Is that what yeah. led you to studying more about permaculture? Yeah, I, I would say so. I, I would say that, yeah, it did give me, um, it was one of the things that, that made me realize that, um, yeah, there is, that, that Japan has a history, you know, with talking to, to, to people, I, I realized that actually not that long ago, um, th this is in people's grandparents' uh, generation, that um, people were, grandparents were using, um, homemade fertilizer using their vegetable scraps um using um things that they made at home to, to make make compost and and put on their fields and and pretty much everything they grew was organic and japan being a country of um very very limited resources um didn't didn't have synthetic fertilizers right they didn't have to, to, to fossil fuels that were, that were needed to make this. They didn't have access. They, it wasn't financially possible for them to do this. Um, and I know you've, you've had, again, someone on your show talking about Edo, but I'll mention it again. But in, in the in the Edo, Edo period, um, uh, you know, human human waste was a very, very valuable commodity. So these these important nitrates, um, let, let's, let's call them nitrates, were very, very useful for for the fields and they were traded actively um and and you know th this was closing this closing the loop and and a really important part of of agriculture and, and really helped um it was, tokyo it was to become what it did every, yeah the most impressive thing about that edo period which uh is also in the idea of satoyama and of course in per permaculture as well is the idea of everything in nature is reused nature doesn't waste anything nature right. is so smart and it's people who come in and create waste and thinking we know better but when you leave it up to the natural balance that's where we can really right. learn and develop in such sustainable ways yeah right? that's yeah that that's so true and that that's so true and the slide that you're showing up here is um the permaculture it, it's it's a graphic of the permaculture principles i'm not i'm not going to detail them them all because um that would take too long but exactly as you mentioned um, create no waste is 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 one of the permaculture principles and um if you do look at nature that there there is no waste you'll see you'll see um in the autumn for example um ginnan are very popular in a very common throughout japan and you'll see ginnan will fall to the ground um they'll fall to the ground and they will they will decay and and what exactly is decay decay is um you know to, to an urban person it, it's dirty it's smelly but decay is it's a bacterial and, and fungal process whereby um the 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 nutri the nutrients in the ginnan are um, metabolized into um, nutrients for the soil and these these um, nutrients in the ginnan are going to go to fertilize the soil and they may help the ginnan seed to grow um, in addition to um, making sure the ground around it will will be will be nice and, and fertile for, for other plants to grow so this is a really really important point of permaculture where where we don't create waste and and a, a real 
important point is this idea that we have of waste and gomi and um, landfill and um, bumbets. It, it's a very, very human created concept. And I, I'd go so far to say it's something that's that's created in, you know, in the past, you know, 50 to 100 years where, you know, we we make something, um, we we extract something from the ground, we'll mine it, we'll manufacture it, we'll make it, we'll use it, hopefully a few times. Um, let, let's hope it's better than single use, but we'll use it a few times and then we'll throw it away. We'll, we'll, we'll chuck we'll chuck it out and it will be, it will sit in, um, you know, landfill. hopefully it will sit in some kind of a secure landfill. Um, in, in a worst case, it, it might crazy. be released into the rivers. The first time I visited Kamikatsu, which is the zero waste town, and they're trying to get away from this idea of waste as an end product that finished because it's not finished. And people who study permaculture know this, that there is no throwing away and it's over. There is always an after effect, right? So why not let it be a positive after effect? Why not let it be useful for the soil or food for insects or animals, right? Like useful in some way. Right, uh, and then absolutely. that comes back and helps us, right? Ab absolutely. Absolutely. And... I mean, you know, one, one example is, you know, we might we might be, um, you know, chopping chopping vegetables at home, and um, you know, those vegetables that that we don't we no longer need um, can easily be food for, for example, for the chick for our chickens that we might be raising, that and those chickens might end up giving us eggs. Um, but if we're living in an urban situation, we may not have chickens. You know, many people who are viewing probably in Japan think I don't have chickens, but I, I live in a small apartment. Um, and yeah, the photos that you're showing there are um, a way that we can use waste um, to to make compost. And um, compost again, it, it's something that if if people go and maybe take a moment when you're next speaking to your grandparents, I'm sure, um, especially if, if they're in Japan, they, they will almost certainly have um, knowledge of compost. And what compost is, is essentially it's it's using the, the nutrients that we may, that we don't need or we don't want, and it's cycling them back and providing that nutrient and returning that back into the soil. So one way that we can do it is in our house. You can see these two bags. Um, and this company, by the way, um, in case people are not aware, it's called LFC Compost, Local Food Cycling. Uh, and I think they're based in um, Fukuoka. Um, I think they're a kind of like a social business and, and, and they do these online events to explain how to use their system. Um, and I'll mention there, what I've got here is um, food scraps. So what I'll do is I'll collect in a Tupperware um, you know, I'll put in a Tupperware, a bunch of food scraps from from cooking, um, and um, I'll fill that into this compost bag every every morning, um, and that will be mixed up with um, a, an amount of carbon, which is given by the um, by LFC. You can also use um, so compost. So going back to the basics, compost is is a mix of carbon and nitrogen. And this is going back to maybe what you might have learned at school um, about about the nitrogen process, um, about the carbon process, 
scraps. Um, and without getting too scientific, um, the food scraps that you produce, which you can see in this graphic here, are nitrogen materials. So there, there's going to be a lot of water in them, and there's going to be a lot of nitrogen in them. And nitrogen is a really key component in um, any any growing any growing green. So so the, these this green that you see around me, the the leaves, a, a significant component of them is going to be nitrogen. And um, if we have like leftover carrot or leftover leaves, um, cuttings from the spinach that we had, or maybe we've got some food that we don't, it's a little bit off, um, we're not sure what we, rather than chuck it in the bin where it's probably going to be burned and, and, and never be used again, um, what we can do is we can mix that up with perhaps, um, we can just mix that up with some shreddings. If you've got a shredder at your home, you can mix that up with paper shreddings. You can mix, mix that up with um, some dry leaves if you've got some dry leaves. I always like to say, fuyo wa, fuyo na mono dewa nai. <laughs> um, so fuyo is, is a really, really, um, you know, for those who don't understand Japanese, it's, um, it's, it's like dead leaves, it's, it's humus. So if you've got a park near you um, or you've got a, um, a backyard or a front yard, just gather those dry leaves, mix them up with your food scraps, put them in a, in a, in a bag. Um, I will always say, though, in Japan is try and keep this bag closed. Um, just because of bugs and you, you don't want to be getting like um, too many bugs inside your compost um, and, and, and mix it. And the key is just mix it um, and um, you just keep keep feeding it every day. Um, add add like add, if, if it's a bit smelly or if it's a bit squishy, um, add more carbon, add more dry leaves, the, cr the crunchies. We like to call them the crunchies. Um, the carbon are the crunchies and the nitrogen are the juices. So things that are like squishy and a little bit smelly, they're the nitrogen and, and, the, and the, the dry and the twigs and, 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 the, and, the, and the bits of cardboard. And you can even use newspaper. Um, hay, wara, wara is, is also a good thing. If, if, you ever go to the, um, if you ever go to your rice shop and you get um, komenuka, which is like the leftover from your rice husk, um, or you can just ask your rice shop, um, please give me some komenuka. This is also a great thing to, um, to use in compost. Wonderful. And a lot of people say it's very difficult if they live in an apartment to do composting, but you're, you're doing a beautiful job with composting and growing some plants um, food on your balcony, it looks like. Are you, are you having much success? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, it's. I, I would say composting is is, is great for um, nowadays. We're at home a bit more. Um, we're cooking at home a bit more. I hope um, it, it's a great thing to start, even if you've got a small apartment. Um, maybe I can, if I tell you the link for um, it's. I think it's it's called LFC Compost. If I can send you the link later, or you can search it, um, they send a ready-made sure, sure. kit. Yeah, I'll add it. Um, I'll add it below. Um, yeah. On on your balcony, I noticed, yeah. and I. I I love to see that yeah. you are combining different kinds of plants. And I think this yeah. is something people don't realize that there's so much benefit to diversity in how you grow plants. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. There is. And again, this, this goes back to, to permaculture, which, um, which talks about um, diversity. And um, one of the things in diversity is like, you can see in that photo there where I'm mixing up, 
some of the plants there. You can see I've got some marigolds in there. Um, and marigolds are really great to keep insects away. So if you've got marigolds um, planted in front of or um, in front of some of your, your lettuce leaves or some of your food crops, they're going to confuse some of the insects. Um, and another good thing is like their flowers, they're going to attract they're going to attract, um, you know, if you, probably not in an apartment that much, but if you're in a garden, they're going to attract bees, which are going to help with um, pollinating some of your flowers as well. Um, so you're yeah, mixing things and, and, and like finding these mutually ben beneficial um, relationships. This is a this is a real key point. Um, we'll, we'll get we'll get onto it um, a bit later when we talk about permaculture. Um, but you can do this on a larger scale, or you can do it also on a smaller scale. You can mix like you can mix your basil and you can mix your tomato. And, and you can mix some of these um, root crops with some above ground crops. So absolutely, um, if people are interested, interested, just look into companion um, planting. If you're doing it in your garden, you can look into um, a polyculture. Um, and these are really, really um, um, key elements. And it also gives you, it also staggers the season. It means that you'll get something um, in, in a if you've only planted one thing, if you've only planted tomatoes, um, come the summer, you're gonna get a lot of tomatoes and, but you're not gonna get some, you're not gonna get things before and after. So if you've planted also different things, you're gonna get, you're gonna get things um, throughout the year. Yeah, wonderful. Um, it doesn't look like the screen share is coming in perfectly, um, but can you tell us a little bit about how you applied um, the permaculture concepts to Alishan Tengu working with Jack and looking at his facility, which is a beautiful cafe and shop uh, next to the river? How did that project come about? It seemed like such an interesting project. Yeah, so so this was um, yeah the, yeah the, the the so what happened with me was I had um, as I mentioned earlier I'd had this um, real interest in 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 the natural world and understanding environmental issues and to to me permaculture is is like a way of of um, like we've detailed before is like living more in harmony with nature it, it's it's more kind of you utilizing nature systems which um, which is so different from what our current um, agricultural system is based upon so our current agricultural system is, is based on like let's grow one crop um, when that crop's done we're just gonna we're, we're gonna we're gonna um, we're gonna plow the soil and that soil will be will be dead and then next year again we'll we'll put a whole load of um, uh, pesticides and fertilizers, and then we're going to grow the same thing again. So what that that cycle does is it it really um, destroys the the soil, and it and it really destroys any nutrient in the soil. And um, I I'd come to this realization, seeing this is like really a not a sustainable way of living. And um, I then came across the idea of permaculture, and um, and seeing it being applied in in small to large scale uh, made me think okay what what can i do as someone living in a small apartment you know a small place in tokyo um so i i decided to embark on this course um 
remote course run by Oregon State University. And um, I, I enrolled on it this spring. And as part of that, they they wanted us to do some real practicals and, and like get out there and and, and do some and, and see what the real land was like, take some real measurements, make maps and so on. So um, through that, I'd, I'd been acquainted with with Jack um, through, um, you know, through through the organic community, through through um, you know, through being um, an active person in in you know in the plant-based community in Tokyo, and having visited his cafe many of times, um, and also eating um, many of um, Alishan's products as well. And I spoke to Jack, and you know, he he talked to me about having having a few. Uh, um, problems with his with his land and having some some issues with um, degraded soil and so on so I was like well may I use your land um, you know is it okay if I if I use your land as, as, as my project so and he was more than happy and, and, and very very cooperative um, now in... for, for anybody who doesn't know we've had Jack Bales from the founder of Alishan Tengu Farms and Cafe on the series really in the beginning of the series and he has been such an important pioneer for anybody living or even visiting Japan who is looking for vegetarian or health food options he was one of the first to start uh, sending things from his shop in Saitama and you can see Alishan Tengu products all over Japan in any health food shop now. So he's really created such a wonderful network. And uh, he's such a generous person too. And I have not had the pleasure of being to his facility. So I'm so jealous of you. What a great experience. Oh, okay. Well, Joyce, so next time you're in Tokyo, you know, we'll, we'll, have, to, we'll have to go together. <laughs> definitely, definitely. So um, it looks like the first uh, big slide was about the location. So when you're doing a, a permaculture analysis like this, are you taking into account the height of the place or the water around the area? Tell us a little bit about what you're looking for at this stage. So that's right. So permaculture, it, it really looks at, um, at a site. So, so wherever we do, so just to clarify, where we do permaculture it's called a design site and um permaculture it's 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 you know the fundamentals is are about design so when we're look when we're trying to find a design site in this case it was um jack's property in in saitama we we try to look at it holistically we try to look at its location in the world exactly as you say we look at its elevation um and if you see in in the subsequent slides i i've talked about the um the kind of climate that it has, the um, the local the, the vicinity, how close it is to the river, how close it is to, to any any water sources, um, you know, any kinds of um, perhaps if it's like located in a in a disaster zone, if it's prone to flooding or if it's prone to, prone to high winds, we really um, before we even even you know get down to planting or, or looking at any any flora we will really um take a step back and and analyze the site and analyze all th this whole plethora of factors around it and um this you can see is um a map i've i've created um, and this is showing um those blue lines for example they'll show like um 
you know how the water flow is is, is going on on the site um, you know where is where is the water flow so this will be really important when we're looking at plants for example like where do we want plants that like water so we're going to put them um, to where the water can water can flow where are we going to site um, um, where are we going to capture our water? So if if the water if we've got like if we've got a slope before um, um, you know where the where the site is entering um, where where water may flow we may decide that we want to have um, some kind of a water capture receptacle um, at that at that point. Um, so this is this is a really really important thing when when we're looking at when we're looking at a site in in terms of a permaculture perspective. That's great. And that really ties in with what I was talking about with indigenous culture and indigenous farming and using the natural landscape to capture water flows in a natural way. Make sure that water coming out of your fields is as clean or cleaner than what came in. Um, also, Sato the traditional Japanese approach of using natural flows through the valley, through the mountains. Um, so permaculture is, is very natural, I would say, to the Japanese mindset about how traditional farming should have been done. Um, but in modern yeah. farming, is so different, like you said, using so many chemicals and fertilizers. Right. Yeah, that, that's a really, yeah, that's a really important, um, yeah, very, very good point about um, tying it into Japan. And um, yeah, and, and permaculture. So, per, so what essentially permaculture has done, well, my, the way I see perma, what permaculture is, it, it, is it's, it's something that draws on um, a lot of indigenous farming cultures and practices and, and essentially presents them to um, a modern audience in a more academic and methodical way because um, you know over the past you know 100 150 200 years maybe less in Japan you know a lot of us who are living in cities we, we've experienced this disconnect with what our ancestors used to do and I guess what permaculture does is it is it prevent it, it it presents um, a lot of these techniques that we used in the past, such as water harvesting. You know, quite often we'll go to an old house in Japan um, and we'll see this, um, this this water capture, but I forget the name in, you know, if, if you know, Joy, the name in Japanese. Um, I don't know the, the name in Japanese, but I know what you mean. It's like right. a giant uh, pottery vase. Right, um, right, that right, they right. Capture the rainwater from the house or something, right? Exactly, exactly. So we'll see that, um, and we'll see things like this that we used um, hundreds of uh, hundreds of years ago. Um, so things like this, um, like capturing rainwater, is a really, really significant part of permaculture. Things like composting, which was it has been used, um, you know, a couple of generations ago. Composting was like you know really um, you know atarimai na it was like completely second nature to people in Japan um, but that again it's been forgotten so these are these are some techniques that are presented in permaculture um, and I just want to tie in um, like things about Satoyama and things about Japanese traditional um, farming um, you know people on this show yourself you, you may have heard of um, Fukuoka-san who um, is, is really um, um, revered amongst um, permaculturists um, but he, he's ironically enough he's not 
that well known in Japan. Um, but a, a, a lot of the work he did, a lot of the books he wrote um, really um, inspired the permaculture movement and a lot of what he said was um, a lot of the ideas that he used think things like no-till things like not plowing the soil um, was a fundamental thing that he stood by and that again is a fundamental um, in in permaculture so in permaculture um, can I, we won't can I just add so Fukuoka Sensei's um, famous book is called One Straw Revolution, and it's it's the whole idea, like you said, about no-till farming, uh, leaving it up to nature. What I said earlier in the show about how man is trying to control nature and nature is smarter than us and we need to accept that, that comes from that book. He, he was a pioneer in this idea that we are not smarter than nature. Nature is much smarter than us. We need to watch and learn from nature. And he came from a biology background. So he had training in man-made techniques, which are supposed to be better. So he knew what he was talking about. Really yeah. inspirational. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. That, yeah, that, that's that's yeah, absolutely true. And and permaculture, yeah, again, like you say, it, it doesn't. It tries to replicate the, the 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 systems of nature, and and it, and and you know, one of the things is like observe and interact, and it's um and also like looking at patterns, like patterns to details. So in nature, if we observe, we are going to see like millions of patterns and and millions of types of interactions. And and I was I was watching the other day some something that. You know, humans it disrupted. This was in something I, I saw in in America that there was. It was actually on Japanese TV, surprisingly enough, where um, uh, people um, hunt the type of um, a fish in in the, the lakes of Ye Lake Yellowstone, and they removed. Um, the bears' source of protein. So then, the bears in Yellowstone had to go and start looking for a different source of protein, and they started um, like eating deer cubs. So, and then the deer population then massively dwindled. So all these like patterns and in, like, like all these integrations in nature, um, and there are there are just so many of these um, that it's like really way beyond the realm of human understanding, and and it's something that we cannot. So, so things. If we try to go against these, we're going to create changes um, that will bring unforeseen circumstances. And, and again, that we've seen this with biodiversity loss. And, and this is what permaculture tries to replicate. And um, permaculture, like what I'm talking about right now, and and what you know, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm qualified to, to even talk talk about what I'm saying. But based on my learning and my experience, is is I'm talking about it on a small scale and probably beyond the scope of this talk is is like permaculture integrating permaculture on a larger scale. And and when we tr start doing this, we we look for an alternative to um uh you know mass mass scale agriculture. So so things like you may read about and you may hear about in the coming years are things like agroforestry and and silvopasture and and these are ways that we can try to produce food for a larger population but while still trying to um, uh, conserve biodiversity. So, so while saying that, look, you know, if we do want to grow some cereal crops, it's not necessary to clear all this forest. You know, we can, we can keep some forest, but, but we can grow cereal crops 
between the forest. And by doing this, we are retaining that soil's level to ability to absorb carbon. We're, we're not destroying like the habitat of the animals that, that live there we're keeping these biological interactions but we're still growing food for people and we're still creating a surplus so that so, this, so these, these, these are the different yeah. topics that you can touch on yeah absolutely and we have to change our idea of what is efficiency that nature is efficiency and our our modern idea of efficiency is so different right like going and clearing a field of trees entirely and planting the same kind of crop over and over seems like efficiency, but actually it's very destructive to nature's balance and it's not sustainable. So we are learning so much from these kind of techniques. Now, I, I was so interested in this slide um, sure, yeah. about all of the detail of the compass. You have to take into account the wildlife considerations. The assets, is it? Assets and oh, amplify and uh, deflect. deflect. Amplify and deflect. For each right. of these topics. I found that fascinating. Can you right. talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. Um, so what this says, the sector compass, it, it's a very, very, um, it's a very interesting and, and quite and, and a li little bit challenging um, thing to do. Um, and actually, this can be done um, on any property, I would say. Um, and even, and it's a really core core aspect of, of the permaculture design process. And, um, you know, quite often people don't spend enough time on this, um, only to regret it in, in the long run. So what the Sector Compass does is it looks at a variety of aspects. Um, and it sees how they can um, either help the site or hinder the site. So you can see that um, you can see in this um, um, example that I've used, where um, you know we've got we've got, for example, like the sun. So so if we're at a site where there is um, there there is no shade. So what that that calculation, that little graph that you see at the bottom, is um, a calculation of the sun's angle. Um, and this is something we all observe. Um, anyone, you know, if you've lived in a house, you, you'll know you'll notice that in the in the winter the sun is going to be more horizon, uh, whereas in the summer that the sun's going to be more overhead, and that's going to depend. That's going to affect the, the level of light that you're getting. So this will be really um, um, essential to consider. Um, it, when you're citing your crop. So for example, if, if you've got a hedge or if you've got a wall or a fence that's creating a shadow, you're, you're going to want to consider that when you're putting plants there. So you're not going to want to put shade loving plants where, you know, for, if half the year they're going to be getting, they're going to, they're going to be in the shade of that, um, of that, of that fence. So other other things to consider are things like the water. So are there potential ways in which um, you know you could be um, getting too much water on the site? Are, are there ways that you can deflect the water, um, perhaps by by having a, a, a small channel or or a drainage channel where you can channel that water to some um, some sites, some some areas that that you can keep some kind of a muddy or marshy area and. and have plants that like marshy areas where for example in, in Jack's um, it, um, example I, I said the marshy area a lot of Japanese plants because um, Japan gets so much rain um, 
you know, I, I used in Jack's example, I recall the amount of rain was like 1,800 millimeters per year. And when I was looking at some of my colleagues who were my, my colleagues or my co-students um, in my cohort where they were they were designing somewhere in, in the west coast of the US where they, they're going to be getting like only 600 millimeters in a year. They were telling me, wow, you get 1,800 millimeters of, of rain a year. That's and, and I realize that we're blessed, you know, with water, but sometimes that can be too much water. So we might want to look at um, plant species that like that kind of um, that doro doro, that doro doro type of soil. So one example in, in Japan is like fuki. So fuki is a perennial um, and it can grow on riverbanks and it doesn't need that much light um, and it really likes um well-drained um, and, you know, very wet soil. So this is one example. And, and planting this can, can help to um, prevent the soil from being eroded. So it's got this like real, um, uh, you know, win-win. So you've got this Niseki Nicho type situation where it's going to protect and it's also going to give you a perennial crop and you can eat fuki and you can have them with your rice and you can pickle them or, 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 or whatever. Yeah, I love that. I, I did a workshop with a, a plant-based kaiseki, so traditional Japanese chef at a ryokan in Nagano and working with Tyler Lynch. And we had a great workshop. And one of the ingredients that he wanted us to get was fuki. And I'd never heard of it before. And it was amazing that I could get it at the local supermarket that it, it was available and it's it's a sansai, it's a forest vegetable that people usually go out, even now in modern Japan, go out and forage for themselves um, in local forests. And so these traditions are being preserved in Japan and they're, you know, so it seems like permaculture and these concepts would be easier for Japanese people to adopt because they're already kind of aware of them or accepting of them. We see um, forest vegetables in different seasonal dishes and things. That's so interesting. Yeah, yes, right. There, there is absolutely, I, I would say that, um, you know, going back again to like the Satoyama, it's, you know, people going to people's grandparents generation i i think they are probably the people that are most in tune um with these kinds of concepts and and also understanding the seasonal variances understanding that um being able to um prepare for floods and um you know may, maybe less so over here fires um but having these kinds of um variations and extremes in weather and, and it's something that's really important to um to take into account and and this is again what this what this sector compass shows another thing i i thought was really interesting from your report was about uh soil analysis so taking into account the different kinds of dirt soil which we know is so important uh, to any kind of growing of, of vegetables or food uh, can you tell us about this a little bit? I love this part. Yes, soil, soil is, is something that's that's really, really, um, it's really, really important because it, it, it's the core of, of, of life, you know. Anything that we eat is coming from our soil and, and anything that, you know, that we eat, it's going to become a part of us. So 
so you know whether we like it or not we are very very much um uh you, you know we are we are very much living close to the soil and the soil is very very important to us and um one one thing that we do in when we are analyzing a site is we are taking a soil sample and in in doing in taking a soil sample we are we are like we are digging a small hole and and gathering a, a clump of soil um we, we do a little what, what we do is, is it's called a jar test so you put the soil into a jar you mix it up with water you shake it and and you leave it to settle and you can see in the photo there when it's settled it it kind of it stratifies um and you get different layers so what you're going to see in those layers are you're going to see layers of um you're going to see layers of sand you're going to see layers of of of, of silt um and you'll be able to um through that gauge to to you know what type of soil that you have and um, what crops are are likely to thrive in in that soil um, and possibly you know if 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 your if your soil is too too perhaps too skewed either because the soil has been neglected or if it's been eroded so for example if you've got if you've got um, like a backyard where nothing was planted and, you know, as is typical in Japan um, is, you know, it, it's just left as bare soil or gravel, um, quite likely that soil is going to be highly eroded. Um, and um, that soil is not likely to support any kind of um, uh, plant life or at least any kind of, um, you know, any, any kind of food, food plants. So what will likely be needed is to, necessary is to ameliorate the soil and there are various techniques um, that we can do to improve to ameliorate soil and add nutrients back into it and that's so important um i saw a documentary when i was doing my sustainable tourism masters about soil and i think it was called dirt and okay. it, it talks about um the problems in india with the indigenous uh, traditions of farming were so sustainable, so good for the soil. And then like many countries around the world, a lot of the pesticides came in. Oh, this is better. Uh, use this. And then now they're really struggling to grow anything because, like you said, the soil is so eroded. And uh, I think one of the people in the video, the thing that really struck me was uh, she said some of the organic farmers or natural farmers, they'll eat a little bit of the soil to test it because they they oh. know that it's so good <laughs> and it's so nutritious and they don't mind even eating it directly. And I was so shocked by that. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, compost at the end of the day, you know, compost at, yeah, at the end of the day is yeah, our bodies are comprised of, of of nitrogen and carbon, you know. So it's 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 nothing nothing alien um, to to eat soil. And I think um, you know even another example is like um, you know sorry to say this to some of your users, I don't want to you know disgust people, but you know even composting toilets, it's 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 somewhat of a taboo in our modern society to say that yeah we. Um, we need to compost our toilets but our whether we like it or not our poo contains like you know huge amounts of nutrients things like phosphorus for example which is really really crucial in 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 growing a huge number of plants and um you know 
same like you said in India um, and, and also in Japan I, I talked to people and saying that they and I talked at the start of this show like like using um, composting our composting our human waste was was like a really important uh, important step and it's a it's a way of returning those nutrients into the soil um, and our modern ways of architecture it, it really it it does not allow the soil to regenerate and it doesn't on it's a it's a one-way process so you know if we grow wheat or we grow potatoes um we, we're going to till that, that that soil is going to be plowed um the the, the soil is going to be mixed that that harvest is going to be sent to the market um the soil is going to be left bare for, for a number of months, during which time the wind and the rain are going to erode the soil, blow off any nutrients in that. Um, and the soil is going to be essentially lifeless. And then next season, the soil is going to need to be fed with a lot of synthetic fertilizers, which are again using a lot of resources, a lot of energy, quite often generated from um, uh, fossil fuels to, to be able to grow anything there. And um, again, I'm not an ex expert, but I have read and I've I've heard from 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 various studies that um, you know you know year upon year we need more and more um, fertilizers to to render harvest from these soils. So so essentially, we are really compounding the problem. Um, um, that we've that we've already got, and 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 one thing that permaculture does is worse, right, yeah. right, right, right. It gets worse and worse. It, it's like it's like fixing, remediating, remediating, and um, regenerating um, the soil and regenerating the the environment and the ability for it to, to produce a yield. Yeah. And that's what I think is really important in And there's in what so we many do. there's so many great knock on effects that work so well together. Like you talked about composting. So yeah. if you do composting, you're not only reducing your food waste, reducing yep. the amount of waste you have to put out, which has to be picked up and delivered to the waste center using fossil fuels, but you are also building up the soil and making better plants and capturing more carbon. There's just so many positive knock-on effects. There's so much positivity. There's so much positivity. And like you mentioned, food waste and it's something that people don't it's again a little bit of a taboo or it's 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 not like mentioned in society or it's 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 i would say it's, it's you know especially in japan i notice it, it, it's something that's hidden away it's like it, it goes in the you know there, there's channels in the back it's it's always at the back of the restaurant or the back of the supermarket and, and, and it, it's taken away you know late in the night or early in the morning it's, it's kind of out of sight out of mind but it's something that it's 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 really massive you know it it is massive the amount of food waste that that we produce and um i, I was like looking in, in this in this study that i've got here and japan produces this, this is data from 2014 showing that japan produces 27 million tons of food waste per year and that is that is close on a third of uh, all food produced is just wasted and Which um is and japan yeah especially horrible when you realize that there are people who are food insecure here absolutely absolutely right? so what is, we have a right. broken infrastructure right in right terms right of our food system right uh, speaking of local food though one of sure. the analysis you did 
um, for Jack for the Tengu Cafe yeah. area, I found so interesting. We were talking about sansai or forest vegetables or wild seasonal vegetables. And this is a great example. I love this analysis. This is a nice part of the report. Yeah, um, yeah, I think this is again, it's like putting us back in touch with um, what people, um, you know, a, a generation or two ago would have been like, you know, really, really familiar with. Um, and, you know, people now are less so. And, it, and it's things that it's, it's so bountiful in terms of um, the, the type of food that you can get in, in different seasons. And, it, it's. I remember when I was out. Um, I was out in Nagano, um, you know, not so long ago, and uh, you know, at a, at a farm there, and I was I was spending time at a farm there, learning about you know organic farming, and um, there it, it's it's quite commonplace just to like snip the the yomogi. It's like, what should we eat for lunch? Oh, let's just snip the yomogi that we can find there, and snip that and just make make tempura out of that. I think there's, there's a few slides there that, that show, I, I think Yomogi is on there, there might be um, Oba that's on there, there's, um, did, did I include um, Udo, is Udo on there? I, I'm not sure if I put Udo on there. Um, I can't see, uh, you've got bamboo, rapeseed, Yomogi, Yomo, um, right, Yomogi, Ginkgo uh, nuts, Japanese Fuki, uh, absolutely. Nazuna mastake, which is a beautiful kind of mushroom, oba, and right, bamboo. Right, right, right. Right, And then there's bamboo, which I think is, is still practiced. It, it's again a very um a very fast growing um, a fast growing crop. Bamboo is, which is again it it grows you know natively in Japan it's 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 a, it's a type of grass it grows really really quickly it sequesters carbon it's got so many uses you know we can eat the bamboo takenoko in spring um, we can use the bamboo as a as a wood source we can make so many different things from bamboo um, it, it's got so many many uses yeah absolutely and it's just underutilized in japan it needs to be absolutely uh, absolutely i talked to uh, author winifred bird and her book is all about uh people around japan who forage for natural uh wild foods in in seaweed or in the forest and she did a 15-course meal, all of bamboo in Kyoto. So wow. it's, and she was talking about how when bamboo stopped being used to make baskets or to make hats or to make tools, when bamboo decreased, then bamboo became a problem and spread everywhere. And, you know, in old Japan, it was never a problem. It was never overrun because people were using it. And then plastic replaced it and created all these other right. problems, you know? So every action right. has a reaction, yeah. right? Absolutely. And I think it's like, and it is, what I do find nowadays is like when I do see businesses or I see places that are using these kinds of, um, you know, sustainable techniques, it, it's it's a great it's a great way to to have a um, uh, to start a conversation and, and you know talk to people. Um, sometimes I'll go to a you know I'll, I'll go to a restaurant and they're you know if you know they they they're using something that's in season or they're using something that is you know a, a practice that is sustainable. It's, 
it's, it's something that is that's drawing on on what was used in Japan in the past, and it's it's like acknowledging and, and just showing your appreciation to them for for making that realization. And you know, Japan traditionally, um, you know, going going again on 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 this issue of waste. I, I think I had this comp- like literally yesterday. Um, we, we we were going to buy rice, and um, you know, we always go and buy rice with our little cotton bag and. And the fellow at the rice shop was saying that, you know, you know what? Um, yeah, thanks for always doing this. And yeah, it, it, you know, it really helps us. And he, and he gave us a little bit. He, you know, he knocked us a little bit off the price because, you know, he's not he's not generating extra. It, it, he's saving the cost of the packaging that he's using. And um, you know, he said, you know, that like about one in ten of his customers are now using reusable um, or bringing their own like little sack. Which is what they used to do back in the past, but that was that was something really um, um, welcome to hear. Um, you know, these, these kind of little stories and little interactions is it, it, it's really really important, and and it can really help people feel, you know, generate that connection and, and help people feel appreciated and and help that effort be realized. Absolutely, and and just asking sometimes, asking in a nice way. Oh, would it be possible to just use my own bag or my own container? Oh no, oh that's okay, you know. But just asking, and then maybe the next time you go, they're like, oh, did you want to use your own bag? Like they've thought about it. You're yeah. developing a relationship, but also you're Absolutely. you're creating a movement. So Absolutely. every small action in a positive way can have have a big effect. In the long Absolutely. term, Absolutely. Uh, so we only have about five more minutes. Is sure. There, is there one more topic we haven't really touched on that you wanted to talk about? Um, yeah, I think I've talked. I've talked quite a bit on permaculture, and I've talked. Um, yeah, I've talked about like you know on 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 the way that it it relates to the um, relates to the environment and how it how it can address a lot of our environmental issues. Um, I think one of the key you know before even the principles. I think one of the key points of perm- permaculture, the key um, uh, pillars are that I'd like to mention are the the care of earth. Um, a lot of which. We've, we've talked about in we've covered in this talk care of people and this this also draws on this um, community side it, it, it's like making sure that people don't do work that is that is demeaning or that is hazardous and um, quite often in our modern economy again the unseen um, elements of our modern economy are uh, you know we'll, we'll buy a phone but there are people that are doing um, that are doing things that are, are hazardous or even close to slavery. You know, they're they're doing they're doing mining or or, or they they're doing things that are putting their lives or their families' lives at risk. And and permaculture, an important part of permaculture, aside also aside from just the aspect of plants. And the aspect of growing, you know, your garden or, or, or whatever, is is also the care of people. Um, and the third, the third pillar of permaculture is something called fair share. It's 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 like creating this thing that is like sharing with the community. And um, one example of my um, that my um, instructor um, Andrew Millison used um, when uh, at Oregon State um, that he used, he's, he's a prominent permaculturist. Is on his uh, his home. What he does is he creates these these fruit trees at the edge of his property, where there's there's little grapes growing there, and and those grapes um, those grapes are 
are what he shares with the community because the passing school kids when when they're coming home from school they're, they're going to have these like really enticing grapes um that they can pick on their on their way home and it's it's a really it's a really um really sweet li literally it's in in many ways a sweet thing to do and i i would say is um it's it's again if i can link that to what we do in japan is you know in japan like quite often like if you live in inaka which it's it's really sad it's forgotten in, in in the urban area but you know you're quite often people in inaka that i've spoken to they say that they 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 randomly find daikon placed at their genkan right um when when the person has created a surplus of genkan and it, it it's like creating this this fair share and and this is like where we go back to to um go how people have lived in the past and, and like create this kind of a community um it's so, it's so important yeah. and i i saw in one of your pictures as well that you also do clean up volunteering and you know even if if you don't live in a place where you're growing your own food and share your own food you can volunteer and help your neighborhood clean up or go down to a river or beach and help clean up and that's also part of this giving back to sure. help other people or you know volunteer at second harvest which is also talking about food waste so in in terms of permaculture as well as the idea of sustainability i'm always talking about is it's you cannot disconnect it you cannot just talk about the planet or environmentalism because of course people are so connected to that and you can't just talk about business either because business has a very strong effect making money has a very strong effect on people and planet so having these three together and trying to find some kind of balance for all three people planet and profits is a really good goal that everybody should at least keep in mind right <laughs> yeah totally yeah absolutely i, I think it's like yeah, I mean, it's not always easy for us to, to leave our modern lives. Um, you know, right, right now I'm at a point where I'm like, you know, looking toward, like ha having learned about all this, um, yeah, I, I hope to to um, embark on a few projects in, in the future. Um, but yeah, it, you know, I completely understand that it, it's not always easy for people to relinquish their own lives. But um, exactly as you say, like balancing the, the, the people, planet, profit, you know, people who are working so you know say 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 you're part of you know a lot of what we're looking at now is is like you know for, for change to occur it, it it can't just be done by a handful of you know environmentalists who are you know seen as a you know sometimes but they're seen as mainstream society is a little bit left field they might be seen as a little bit wacky they might be seen as hippies or, or whatever whatever you want to call whatever mainstream society chooses to call them you know putting that aside i think um you know environmental issues they are being more of a con more of a concern and they're being more recognized now you know we've seen we've seen like environmental um disasters in in you know we've seen floods in europe this year we've seen we've seen wildfires we've seen wildfires in europe you know we've, we've seen like floods and wildfires in in the same country in, in different parts of the same country in europe we've seen floods in japan for the past you know the, the past three three or more years um we've seen like the, the people said this was a once in a decade rainfall but that's happened like you know twice in three years so we've seen things that are inexplicably linked 
to climate change. So um, I think corporations, governments, society is beginning to realize this. And what I can say to people who are, um, you know, maybe they're not like ready to, to go and step out and start on permaculture or, or, or start a regenerative project, project is, is to look at what they're doing, what their enterprise is doing. And, and let's say, what can we do? So, for example, you know, right now, like, you know, a huge amount of energy is, is used by, by buildings. You know, if there are vacant buildings, like if people are working at home, can we look to reducing the HVAC? Can we look to reducing the aircon usage? Look to reducing the energy consumption? Can we look to um, uh, perhaps looking to like, you know, ways that they can look to um, their electricity from a, regen uh, a renewable energy source? Can we look to um, myself in technology, like, for example, like looking to extend the use of our technological products? Can we repair and reservice? Can we, um, and also in our everyday lives is again, again, going back to no, no waste is, can we, um, rather than buying something that's so brand new, can we, can we buy a bit you know, secondhand. Can can we buy that? You know, perhaps that thing that we needed, we can buy secondhand on even using Mercari or even using like you know some online platform to buy secondhand. And instead of like, perhaps we've got this item of clothing that we don't really wear. Um, why not instead of like throwing that in the trash or putting that or leaving that in our wardrobe? We can we can sell that and, and and that will be new to somebody else, and that's creating that it's creating that newness and and that excitement in somebody else. But we're passing that on. So 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 we're so maybe in in selling you know if we're selling a, a piece of clothing that's nice, that might prevent something someone from buying something new, which is then um, it's going back up the chain. It's 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 preventing um, extra items being mined. It's it, it's being a, a extra um, fossil fuel from being used to being creating something. So these kinds of things, I would say, like small things in our life, having those conversations um, is is a really really um, important thing. And, and and just just do something small and and don't be um, defeatist. Don't feel that I'm too what I'm doing is too insignificant. Start by something and tell somebody else. Have a conversation. Put it on your if you're good at using social media, there's lots of people who are good at social media, you know, tweet that, Instagram it, put that on social media and have that conversation with about what you're doing. Um, and, and that will then reflect and and that might start becoming like when I was like, you know, a few years ago, um, I was like bringing my bags to the shops and sometimes I'd get funny looks, but now it's like, right? Um, so, so um, and now I'm like, you, you know, I've been, I've been going with Tupperware. So people used to laugh at me, like for bringing a Tupperware to the, to the takeaway joint um, or, or to the restaurant, they, they'd give me a funny look, but now it's like, it's like commonplace. Yeah. So I think it, it comes with, um, you know, if I, I was, I was seeing somewhere else and it's like saying that, you know, when, I think when three percent of people start start doing something, it starts gaining recognition and it, and it starts becoming a bit of a movement. And I think you've that there's true. people like um, like the Mai Mizu um, people like Robin Lewis from Mai Mizu who who starts like by doing this water thing. Um, 
and and you know when it it's all right? it's all about attitude too right, right? like right? always always just uh keeping an open mind uh looking at your situation trying to be honest asking people who have a little bit of expertise in things like permaculture or gardening to give you some advice uh doing research online we have so many amazing resources and if we have our mindset that we're just looking for better options, I, I need a new washer. Oh, which one uses less water? Which one uses less energy? I, I, I'm shopping at the supermarket. Oh, which one has less packaging? Which one is made from my local area? Just making a decision to try to look for better options and where it's available, trying to ask or use them, right? Right. So it's all it's of course the burden isn't entirely on the user we have to also ask companies to change ask our policymakers to make regulations higher so that everybody is pulled up to a better level of change right um but i love all the ideas that you talked about today and these are so important and i wish we had more time <laughs> I think there's a lot more we could talk about. Absolutely, there, there, there's a lot we could. Yeah, there's there's yeah. a lot we could talk about. There's a, there's a lot we could talk about. But yeah, it's 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 been great being on the show, and um, yeah, I think we've talked about. I've I've talked. You know, I, we've been pretty um scattered in in, in what we've talked about. Um, but, but it's I, all connected. Yeah, <laughs> it, it it is all connected. It it, it is all in. It is all interconnected. And, and a lot of what we, a lot of what is said, sometimes it's, it's said in isolation, but yeah, it's, it's really important to realize different things are so interconnected and, and, and we live in, in a world that there's, that a small action can have so many, um, you know, after effects and, and a small conversation, like you said, talking to companies. Um, one thing I do have noticed in Japan, I'm sure you've noticed it as well, is like this idea of the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals. Um, I, I do find it's thrown about a lot in Japan, um, but I'm not sure how much understanding there always is about what the SDGs are in 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 Japan. But um, I'm hoping that more and more people will start to do it. And, and I think if it is something that you hear about in your in your company, um, a lot of these concepts that we realise about no waste, about comp like for example, like if you're a food service company or if you're generating a lot of food, making sure that is composted. Um, making sure that is that is definitely that is a part of um, um, SDGs and if you do have a sustainability department at your company they will definitely be aware of the sustainable development and making sure that they're aware that you know what we're doing links to these SDGs is it could, it could be a driver it could be like yeah. the, the, the point that means whether it's done or it's not done definitely definitely and we have so much more to talk about so I'd love to have you on again sometime in a few months and we'll continue the conversation absolutely thank you so much. absolutely it's been a pleasure joy and um thank you and thank you to all your listeners and i'm sure people will listen i guess people are going to listen to it afterwards and, and perhaps watch it afterwards as yeah, well uh, we've we've had almost uh 250 people just over watching now okay so, great uh, people can watch it on replays on youtube or here on haps and many other places and then it'll be in podcast form as well um, but thank you so much, everybody, for joining. Thank you so much, Shirag. That was wonderful. 
and uh, have a great day. Take care and Thank do you. your community service. Get your vaccine, wear your mask, use social distancing. We're having a big outbreak all across Japan right now. So please take care of yourself and take care of others. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye. Bye.